Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Let me thrive. In spite of what I've seen, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, I choose to trust you. No matter what I feel, let me thrive. Let me thrive. For my champion's not dead, he is alive.
how many of you are you're like completely distracted now because of the soundtrack to Greatest Showman? Yeah, and you're like, I love this bumper video. Yeah, I figured all the middle school girls in here at least were uh, loving that. Hey, it's great to be with you guys uh, this morning. Hope you're doing well. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is David Walters, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of the Vine Church, and I actually haven't been uh, here in two weeks. Uh, so it's great to be back with you guys, especially as we kick off a, a brand new series called Truth Over Trend. Um, when I was a senior at the University of Georgia Go Dogs, um, I got invited by um, my high school Fellowship of Christian athletes athletes uh, coordinator who had then taken a higher level position with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, who was coordinating a Southeastern United States uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes winter recharge. And I got invited along with some friends of mine that uh, still kind of hung out together, but went to high school together to go and be a part of this winter recharge. Uh, one of the roles that um, we got invited to do was to be the, the worship band, which is, is kind of funny because Everybody knew how to play acoustic guitar, but nobody knew how to play any other instrument besides that. Um, so I don't know, somehow I drew the short end of the stick and got asked to play bass guitar. Uh, so in about six weeks, I tried to learn bass and uh, did so, um, you know, uh, quite poorly, to be honest with you. Uh, every once in a while during the songs, I would just kind of turn down the bass and pretend like I was playing. Um, so a little bit of lack of authenticity there, but it helped people connect with God. Anyway, so sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Uh, but while we were on this um, trip, not only were we a part of the worship team, we were also like camp counselors because we were college kids going to be with high school kids. And the keynote speaker for the weekend was this guy named Ken Watson. And Ken Watson is an ordained United Methodist pastor from Maryland. And he's probably the biggest, baddest Methodist pastor in the world. Now, I know you think that I probably am, but anyway, he is, um, and he is a very large man, and he got up there, and he spoke with authority, and, um, and one of the things that made him, like, big and bad is that his son, who was a freshman at Duke University, was a tight end. His name was Ben Watson, and some of you might be familiar with the name Ben Watson, because Ben Watson eventually transferred to Georgia, because he knew what was up, and uh, transferred from Georgia, graduated from Georgia, went on, and he's still playing in the pros now, and uh, Ben Watson is probably the biggest, baddest dude I've ever seen, besides his dad, and in fact, we've got like a picture of him, uh, he's currently playing with the Ravens, and so, uh, big dude, as you can see, he's got some small arms, anyway, um, so he was there on the camp, and he was one of the counselors, one night we got uh, kind of, you know, a little feisty as counselor, so we decided we would prank uh, Ben and his roommate, who was a defensive end at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Not a good idea. We actually penny locked his door. I don't know if you know what penny lock a door is, but if you will bend the door a little bit, wedge it with some pennies, you can't open it from the inside. So we penny locked his door, we knocked on his door, and he couldn't get out. So him and his roommate, they started to freak out, literally started to freak out. So eventually we figured out, all right, we should probably let them out or we might get killed. Little did we know we were about to get killed in the process. And so we go, we pull the pennies out, we start running down the hallway, and Ben comes running down the hallway with his shirt off, and he looks like the Incredible Hulk coming at us. And so we get in our hotel room. I literally have my feet against the wall and my hands and another guy, and we're holding this door back to try to prevent them from coming in the room. And it doesn't work. And poor Patrick Queen, who's actually over there, third row, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand. He was standing in the middle of our room as one of the counselors. And Ben comes and tackles him, and they fly over one of the double beds onto the other double bed. And we were afraid for Patrick's life. But as you can see, he's still living. Only by the grace of God is he still living. But Ben Watson has, uh, has a lot of prestige, not just because of football, but because of his faith. In fact, so much so that after Ferguson, Missouri happened a couple of years ago, he had a Facebook post that went viral, so viral that all of the major media outlets chose to have him on and interview him. And in an interview with CNN, he started to reveal why there was such an issue with race in our country. And this is what he said, and this is what happened. Let's take a look. The only way to 
Yeah, just like that. <laughs> right after, right after he talks about sin and a savior, they dropped him. Yeah, and I don't know that it would just been CNN. It just happened to be CNN. And right after that moment, Ben Watson came out with this kind of slogan that he put on T-shirts, and that was "Truth with a greater sign is greater than trend." Truth is greater than trend. And what we just discovered in that clip is that it's not trendy to talk about sin on CNN. It's not trendy to talk about a savior on CNN, and, and, and not just picking on CNN, any of the major media outlets. It's not trendy to talk about that, and it's not even trendy to talk about some of the issues that are plaguing our culture and our contemporary society that we live in, and, and even not trendy to talk about it in church. And in this series, as we lead up to Easter, uh, we're going to be talking about some of those subjects that aren't really that trendy to talk about in church. Uh, kind of historically, we're in a season leading up to Easter called Lent. And Lent is typically a, a period of time where the church and Christ followers in preparation for Easter go through a season of reflection and also repentance. And we thought that seasonally, this would be a good time for us to kind of pick up a conversation piece that might not be trendy to talk about, but but we need to talk about in order to reflect on our own personal position on these um, issues and then also repent where we need to repent and respond where we need to respond. And, and, and to be honest with you, just as a pastor, I feel like this series is long overdue. You know, there, there have been moment after moments where, where we probably should have kind of introduced this series, uh, but because of other things that were structured or because we didn't have the bulk amount of time set aside, we didn't. So we have it now. And one of the issues that we're going to be talking about today, which has already been introduced to us, is the issue of race, specifically racism and then also racial reconciliation, which is bringing together uh, the races as God intends. And what's interesting uh, about these truths that we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks is that these are the concerns that God has and that God has actually been dealing with through his goodness and his kindness, uh, basically through the history of the world. And what we'll see about racism is that biblically you, you see racism that kind of started at the beginning of the Bible and exists almost all the way through the end of the Bible until Jesus comes back, reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're, we're told that in that moment that, that there will be representative from every tribe and every tongue who celebrates the name of Jesus. And so that all the races will be one. Historically, what we know is that actually most of the turning points in our education about history is, is based on people groups that overthrow other people groups, largely because they're not like them. And so that we see there's this historical kind of basis of, of racism that has existed. Institutionally, uh, we have experienced that to the point where we would say that our modern society now has actually benefited from racism in the past in not necessarily a profitable way. And then individually, individually we see racism take place anytime one person feels like their own ethnic group is superior to another ethnic group. And, and just so there aren't any loopholes for us when it comes to the conversation of race, when we define racism, at least in this conversation today, what we're defining racism is, is not like a, a, a race where we could easily just go, well, all of us are a part of human race. What we're talking about today is anyone that looks different than us, primarily around skin color, facial features, or maybe even hair. And, and so when it comes to racism, that's kind of our working uh, basis for uh, identifying anything when we would think that a person who uh, looks different than us is inferior um, to us. And today, specifically, we want to talk about racism at an institutional and individual level and how we can through the work of Jesus Christ, actually bring reconciliation and move forward in reconciliation between races, uh, between um, the races. And so um, one of the things that Ben Watson touched on in that CNN video, which I thought was uh, powerful, and in fact, it's actually the basis for a book that he wrote that I would highly recommend called Under Our Skin. 
is that there's this uh, root issue when it comes to almost all of the issues that we're going to be talking about in this series, and that is the issue of sin. It's the issue of sin. It's not really an issue of skin. It's an issue of sin. What a beautiful, powerful line. It's the issue of sin that is, is um, rooted in all of us in kind of our earthly nature. We're all born into a condition that's, that's sinful. We have a sin nature. It, and it manifests in different ways in our lives. And, and, you, and you, you know this. None of us are perfect. We're, we're, um, we, we all have sin. And, and we all have our own struggles, and so we see that sin manifests in different ways. And, and kind of the origin of sin is this, is that in the, in the creating process, God created an angelic order, and one, we, one thing that we know is that in that ma- angelic order, there was a, a lead angel worshiper named Lucifer, and, and Lucifer was um, kind of rebelled against God. Um, you could call it pride, which is probably the most powerfully divisive um, reflection of this sin nature. And in pride, this, this angel lead worshiper rebels against God to try to overthrow God. And in the process, because God can't be overthrown, um, he's cast out and, and a legion of um, angels with him. And then he comes to earth, and we know in Genesis chapter 3, um, causes or at least presents the opportunity for humanity, who at that point had been in a proper and right relationship with God, to, in pride, try to overthrow God. Basically, tempting Adam and Eve to, to sin against God, doing the one thing that God commanded them not to do, which was to eat of a forbidden fruit. They eat of that fruit, which was their way of saying, hey, uh, we want to be in power trying to overtake God. Of course, that doesn't work because God can't be overthrown, and so they're cast out of the garden. And and then because that didn't work, uh, the enemy of God, uh, Satan, uh, then tries to create an institutional overthrow of God where where man turns against man, first of all. And and then when when man turns against man, uh, Cain against Abel, you know that story, then that doesn't, materialize, uh, then getting a group of people to try to overthrow God. You know the story in Genesis 11 of how uh, humanity tried to work together, collaborate together to build a tower to the heavens. And because God can't be overthrown, you know the story with the Tower of Babel, that God um, destroys the tower and then actually confuses their tongue so that they can't coordinate institutionally together. And then from that moment on, what you see is that because there were uh, diverse speaking and diverse languages, that then people start, and this is where it happens, start overthrowing each other based on differences. Based on differences. And so the history of humanity is plagued with this rebellion that happens because of our sin. And it really was never a skin issue, it was a sin issue. And and then that institutional sin issue kind of moves down and creeps down to an individual issue where at some point in life we, we kind of discover that, hey, because the person is different than me or looks different than me, then, then I can act differently towards them. And whoever is in the majority in that moment has, has the power to, to make a person who's in the minority feel inferior. And what's interesting about that is that, that we're kind of taught that. I mean, when you're young, there's still this innate sin issue that we have that's going to manifest in different ways when opportunities present themselves. And so the opportunity presents itself in, in many of our lives where we, we learn that all of a sudden that person who I might have known looks different than me, but I didn't think it was an issue, we're taught that it's an issue. Now, when I was a kid, um, every once in a while, we go down to Plains, Georgia. And Plains, Georgia is down in South Georgia. It's where my dad's family's from. And it's a really interesting town in Plains, Georgia, because when I was growing up, there were still, like, these, like, markers of segregation. I mean, you could go to the public park in Plains, which is really small, and there was one side where there was a set of bathrooms of this building, and then on the other side of the, the building, there was another set of bathrooms. And, and it was a, a remnant, if you will, of the days of segregation. And so, you know, I learned a little bit of the history of segregation by going to Plains. But I also learned something else when I would go to Plains. And, and Plains, when we were there on Sundays, we would go to Plains Methodist Church. 
And as a kid, bless you, as a kid um, growing up, I didn't go to like a traditional church. Um, so I didn't get a lot of those like kids songs that you learn at traditional churches. Y'all know those kids songs? One of those is Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You're supposed to like join in and like a chorus there, but anyway, maybe 11 o'clock I'll get it. Um, so, um, so, so I sang that song, you know, and it was like, uh, you know, I had to learn the song and I learned a lot of truth. Here we are in Plains, Georgia, where, you know, they should have sang that song a couple of decades earlier, maybe, uh, to kind of speed up the process. Um, but I was taught this song where Jesus loves the little children. What's interesting, though, is that, like, as a kid, you know that. And then somewhere along the way, there's, like, separate sets of bathrooms that are set up for people that look differently because for some reason they <laughs> can't use the same bathroom together. You can't use the same water fountain together. It, it's, it's not the kids that need to learn that song. It's the adults that need to learn that song. And, and, and what's interesting to me is that like when, when, it, when we sing, hey, Jesus loves the little children of the world, we would all go, yeah, yeah, Jesus loves all the little children of the world. What we should do is we should maybe change the word from little children of the world to adults of the world. It doesn't sound as good. I tried singing it this week. It just doesn't sound as good. But, but it makes a better point. Because it's not kids that have the issue. It's the adults. Because, because our sin nature is given these moments where we hear something or we see something or we joke about something and all of a sudden we go, no, maybe God doesn't or I'm not going to act in the truth of that moment. We don't have a skin issue. We have a sin issue. We have a sin issue. And the bad news is that, that we could have CNN interviews <laughs> that get cut off. <laughs> we could have we could have all the conversations that we want to have about that. We can have goodwill and we can have power. And it's not going to really change anything. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus, with his goodwill and his willingness to go to the cross, has done something in a spiritual realm that allows all of us to have our sin issue reconciled with God. And the word reconciled just means like a, a balance out. And so our sin account that leaves us depleted and completely zeroed out when it comes to spirituality, in Christ has been completed and brought back to 100%. We're even, we are reconciled completely with God. We're brought into a relationship with God a right relationship with God, and in doing so, being reconciled to God, it leads us to something else. And we're going to see that something else in our passage of Scripture today. So if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I want to invite you to go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5, and we're going to pick up with verse 14. Um, 2 Corinthians was written by this guy named Paul. We say it all the time. Paul was a, a former church persecutor, he persecuted people that followed Jesus, and then he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And in that encounter with the resurrected Jesus, he then is made right with God. And in being made right with God, he understands that he has a responsibility to be right with other people. And so he actually starts planting churches. He goes from persecuting the church to planting churches. And in doing so, he often writes back to the churches that he directly or helps indirectly start with some instructions about proper Christian life and understanding of God. And this is what he writes, beginning with verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. And so what he's saying here is basically, hey, when Jesus died, it wasn't just for a certain group of people, which was fascinating back then, because it wasn't a, a black-white issue then. It was a different shade of tan issue back then that was really built around rules and religion and regulation, where there was some prejudice and maybe some racism that was going on. Not maybe, there was some racism going on. And, and for him to say this, this was huge, because he actually has a resume of pride where he would actually list out all the things that, that gave him this ability to boast as an individual in the majority 
whether it was like ethnic majority or spiritual majority. And he could boast about it. And here he is proclaiming that when Jesus died, he died for all. It wasn't for one skin color or one facial feature group or one hair style group or one group of religious people. It was for all people. This is big. This is big. And not only that, but what he's willing to say here is that because he died for me, then I can live for him. And, and he can live for him in a way that he's completely submitted to him. So whatever his truth is becomes Paul's truth. Whatever God's truth is becomes his truth. Regardless of trend, there's a truth, and it's objective, and it's for him. He can live for him because Jesus died for him, and not just for him, but for everyone. For everyone. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the what? Flesh. Huh. We regard no one according to the what? Church. Flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. A new creation. There's something different that happens in Christ. You're made new. You, you get a new nature. It's not a sin nature anymore. It's a spiritual nature. You, you become a spiritual infant to grow towards maturity in Christ and Christ's likeness. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting uh, to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We are messengers for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be um, sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful message. Speaking to all of the the root issues of the issues we're going to be talking about in this series, but especially this issue of racism. Where in Christ, one died for all. To where in Christ, we're all a new creation. Where in Christ, not only do we have a, a new mind and a new mindset towards all people, not regarding them according to the flesh, but according to this ministry of reconciliation you've been given a new mind you've been given a new mindset and you've been given a new ministry and the ministry is a ministry of reconciliation where we would say to the world be reconciled to God and where we would in action be reconciled to each other and in our culture it's hard to know which leads the other now, I would say that, hey, in order for us to, to be reconciled to each other, we need to first be reconciled to God. And that will always be my message, be, be reconciled to God. But I think in order for the church to have more authority in the voice of be reconciled to God, we need to have a rec ministry of reconcilia reconciliation to each other first. Like the, the answer to all the issues that we're talking about, is reconciliation with God. But in order for us to have platform and a voice, we as individuals and we institutionally as a church, we need to have a ministry of reconciliation to each other. And, and, and I think it's about time for the church to, to say, hey, I know it's not trendy, but, but there's a truth. And the truth is that, that Christ died for all and that we all need the Christ who died. Then it doesn't matter what we look like. It only matters that in Christ, we're a part of a new creation. 
in Christ, in our creation, we are created in the image and the likeness of God, and we all bear that in similarity. In Christ, we are a new creation. We are a son or a daughter. We're one family. Um, We'll see in just a second, a friend of mine who, when we were in the early days of our relationship, he used to say, hey, we've got different mothers, but we've got the same father. Because in Christ, we're new creations, we're children of God. When you receive the ministry of reconciliation, we have to be intentional with it. And unfortunately, the church, because it's not trendy, has been unintentional. And so I want to share with you two ways that we can be intentional. The first is institutionally. is just to say, hey, as a church, we're going to stand up and we're going to speak up. As a church, we're going to stand up and we're going to speak up. And one of the ways that we can stand up and we can speak up is coming this fall through an event called One Race and March on the Mountain. I've shared this with you before, but maybe some of you are new to the vine and you're not aware of this. This is an opportunity for us to stand up. I mean, literally, we've got to stand up because we're walking up Stone Mountain. Where decades ago, pastors proclaimed that one ethnic group was superior. These were pastors. One group was superior to other groups. And so in August, we're going to stand up and we're going to speak up that there's not one ethnic group that's superior to others. That there is a ministry of reconciliation. And if you're curious about what that looks like or why that's happening, we've got a video to let you know. In the eternal mind of the Father was a desire for a family. And from his desire for a family, He creates a race, a human race. He weaves together all sorts of expressions of his own nature because we've been created in his image and likeness. From that creation, he wants a redeemed people who love him. That's what's in the dream of the Father. When you stand against unity, you are standing firmly against the dream of the heart of the Father. Jesus has a plan to overcome opposition. It's called, go to the cross. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Jordan, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slaves, We'll be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. Let freedom reign from stone mountain of joy. I still have a dream. So in August... 25th, we have an opportunity to march the mountain. It's an opportunity for us to stand up and to speak up. The national media will be there. There are already 300 confirmed pastors that will be in attendance for that. Pastors from all over the nation will be there, and you have the opportunity to be there as well. You can get signed up uh, for that by going to oneRace.org. Now, that's institutionally, and and we'll talk in in coming months about that event as well as follow-up from that event institutionally. But what it really comes down to is individually, us being intentional to view other people in the way that God views other people, that all are created in His image and His likeness, and that in Christ, we're all part of His family. And I had the privilege of growing up in an area of Gwinnett County that was probably more diverse than any other area of Gwinnett County, uh, maybe with the exception of one. And in the process, and because of uh, some great parents and because of that culture, race wasn't that big of an issue for me individually. And so it was a pleasure eight years ago when uh, my son, Braden, got drafted to be on a baseball team with a boy named Jaden. And a great relationship developed because of that. And here's a little bit about our story 
and more importantly, a little bit of words from Jaden's father about what individual ministries of reconciliation might look like. Let's take a look. All right, so this is where it all began. Bogan Park, eight years ago, um, our boys played t-ball together. You were the head coach of the Marlins, and um, try, trying to figure out why you like the Marlins now. I know it's from because you're from Miami. That's so, right. Um, we got over that pretty quickly. <laughs> but fast forward to current day, you and Kathy and the boys, y'all are like family. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I think some people would call it family, like yeah. friends and family. <laughs> but I mean, y'all are. You yeah. know, you're the type of parents that. I'd, we'd leave our kids to if something happened to us. Um, so we're tight. And, and I look at it and I go, man, we just, we just get along. And, yeah. and we love each other. We do life together. But I was just curious like, what your thoughts are about racial reconciliation. How do we, how do we really address the, the racial divide that does exist in the country? And um, you being black, me being white, what, what would you say as like a good starting spot for reconciliation? For me, just having an open mind, and I I can't speak for everybody else. My parents raised us not looking at color, Mm -hmm. but judging a person by their heart and their actions. Um, You and I have been through a lot when it comes Mm -hmm. to baseball, because you can have parents on the field that just get crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, There have been times where I've calmed you down and times you've calmed me down. Um, but you got to have an open mind and an open heart and just accept a person for who they are mm-hmm. and then learn from them. And then that's how relationships are bonded mm-hmm. and formed. Um, and just communicate. Don't prejudge. And, if, and even if you do prejudge, find out what their true intentions are because we all make mistakes. We all mm-hmm. fall short. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone can make an honest mistake and just learn from it. Yeah. Because when you think about being Christ-like, uh, you don't look at color. Yeah. Jesus did, yeah. so why should we? That's good. I mean, what would you say is a is a core for getting to that place where you you can even have those conversations where you break down stereotypes or start talking about those stereotypes, things that that have biased us. Part of developing that relationship is the communication part. Yeah. Um, once you communicate, you develop a certain level of trust. We have come a long way from when I was younger. Yeah. You know, I've been. Um, called racial names, had guns pulled out on me and stuff like that, hmm. um, just because of my color. Yeah. Pulled over because of my color, but it hasn't been an issue as bad as it was back then. Yeah. Um, can we do better? Yes. Yeah. Um, but it starts with just acknowledging it, and that's one of the things I was talking about to one of my coworkers today, is that if we don't have discussions about it, it's never going to get solved because you got the problem. Mm-hmm. But if you don't talk about it and address it, it's not going to be it's not going to be solved. It's just going to be kept swept under the rug, swept under the rug. It's almost like sin when you think about it. Mm-hmm. If it's not openly openly acknowledged, then it can never be solved. Mm-hmm. If you love someone, it has no color. Absolutely. I mean, it, it doesn't matter because yeah. when you love them, you're not loving them because of the way they look. Yeah. It's their That's heart true. and their character and the way they carry themselves and their personality and and. If you're gonna love or dislike someone, dislike them for that. And that's why for me, you I don't think I hardly ever use the word hate. Yeah. Because that's such a strong, powerful right. word. Mm-hmm. And when you hate someone, that means you just could care less about them. And I yeah. care and if you have Christ in your heart, you have to care about even your enemies. That's right. Um, and so the Father is our Father in heaven, and we are the children, and we just have to have that faith that God is guiding us through something. Like I don't understand hate, because how can you hate your brother or your sister? Because yeah. we're all brothers and sisters, one yeah. way or another. Yeah. You know? no, and I, I don't hate any of my brothers and sisters. They may make me mad. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. But, but right nah. Hey, Will, um, appreciate you being here. My pleasure. I l- love you as a brother. Love you too, man. And, uh, and it is a privilege to count you as a friend and family member. Family member. Flint family. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Love you too, man. Notice we had to do the like bro hug at the end um, to keep it real because it got pretty serious. 25 minutes of footage 
that we had to boil down to four minutes. And here's what I would say. We got to that place over eight years of intentional, relational building. And so institutionally, we stand up and we speak up. And individually, we reach out. And that's what Will and I were able to do over eight years to get us to a place where stereotypes are broken down and where true relationship takes place. And so our challenge as people who have received the reconciliation ministry of Jesus is to be ministers of reconciliation to the world. Make this our prayer. 